Alright everybody, we're back. We're back here with another episode of Hacks History. We're recording this on a Saturday afternoon. Not that that matters, but... Yeah, well, you could definitely feel the energy in the room. You can Just feel, like the sex, you can I feel it leave. I feel it coming in Motherfucker, you're gonna have... Almost said Peter Gabriel. That's not him. Phil Collins. Phil Collins Peter. is gonna jump through our window and stuff us in the ass with a cease and desist order. That's the energy we need. That's the kind of energy we're looking <laughs> That's for. That's what we need. We need Phil Collins to come and kick a window. <laughs> That's what I want. Shell deep inside of me. Okay, now he's definitely serious. So thanks for that. Um, but we're back here. Uh, we're back here with part two of Watergate. Uh, Watergate salad was out is on already. So if you haven't listened to part one, please go ahead and do that before. Before you get to the good stuff. There should be a picture on the Facebook page where when we started this of Watergate salad as it because there's a picture on the internet of Watergate salad and like an ice cream dish, but it's like replacing the face of Richard Nixon. <laughs> I shit you not, it's there. And I thought we should use that because oh this is gonna be an ongoing God. thing. Alright, well on to part two, is Watergate salad a real thing? And then part three is where we make Watergate salad live on the podcast. <laughs> We're gonna live stream it for our OnlyFans account. <laughs> you know Along with our gratuitous we, dick pics, we we'll do not, some Watergate salad. We're not getting an OnlyFans account. It'll happen. It'll, they'll sink their fangs in us at one point in time. Anyway, enough enough current right, events. So, uh, anyway, uh, president of our country is currently in the hospital with coronavirus. But you know, anyway, we, we do wish we do wish him well. Uh, get better soon. Please let this be the moment when you realize this is a real thing. Please. <laughs> yes. Um. So on the non-COVID related topics, we're gonna go uh, other sad shit. <laughs> we're gonna talk about Watergate. Before we do though, uh, just as a reminder, you can follow Hacked History on Instagram at Hacked underscore history you can follow us on facebook at hacked history you can go ahead and shoot us an email at hacked history 101 at gmail.com and if you're listening to this chances are you did find us um but just so you know uh we are on most podcast distributors so spotify apple podcasts uh all that good stuff and uh yeah so i uh, just want to say thank you for your listening and uh hopefully you enjoy this episode so without further ado yeah. Jake, let's talk about some break-ins. Let's, let's talk about some break-ins. Specifically, the break-in of the, the, the imagination of the soul. <laughs> I feel like after I said the break-ins thing, we need, like, the... You just... <laughs> break-ins! <laughs> oh, it's gonna be, like, like the who's, like, we won't get fooled again from CSI. Yeah! Who are you? Suit, 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 suit. I was going to say, too, when you said something like, for those of you listening, and you, those of you who have found us there, for those of you who have just recently snatched a phone away from somebody in a metropolitan area and are just listening to this as you try to get away, welcome. <laughs> you know what you've done. But <laughs> let's just, like Lucas said, let's just start right here, right now. The much vaunted moment has come to pass. All of that edging from... <clears throat> We're talking about GDP is now paid off. Can you not call it that? Jeez. Call it what? You know what you did. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lucas is not taking his shirt off. It was my overshirt, okay? It's getting more well, why don't you have pants on? I do, though. <laughs> anyway, Shake. moving on. <laughs> uh. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at my talk about breaking. Yeah, I know. All right, so we're talking about the Watergate breaking because what other one would we be talking about? But this one, let's just start from the beginning. And so for the listeners, too, I want to kind of give a little bit of a our sort of like plan of attack here. We're going to talk about the events. We're going to talk about the people involved 
in the break-in and the people who caught them, which is an amazing fucking story. <clears throat> and then we're going to talk about the presidential reaction and sort of the reasons why Nixon gets paranoid. Because that has to play a lot into this break-in because this was sort of like opening the door to a number of other shady fucking things he had done prior to the presidency. But we'll get to that in a second. So let's start from the beginning. Watergate break-in, we're meeting this one up around the early hours of June 17th of 1972 at the Water, the Watergate, at the Democratic National Committee headquarters in the Watergate office apartment complex in Washington, D.C. I don't know if the Watergate building still stands. Or still there. Okay, good. Uh, I believe that... You can, I believe you can go take tours now. Oh, yeah, and you can, I think you could in. rent one of the rooms. Yeah, I think you can. Do you wonder what would happen if you had a girlfriend that had a really weird history fetish? Just like... Do me like you did that botched break-in, fuck, fuck me like you fucked that filing cabinet filled with financial documents from the <laughs> DNC. Anyway, um... So I want to see all of your records. <laughs> Take. I want you. To, I was gonna. I want you to stick a microphone in me, but that's not okay. Um, <laughs> no, that's not okay. Please don't do that. Why don't you put some botched bugging equipment somewhere in the room and then have to come back a week later? And anyway, um. So initially, what happened here was that they the break in. It's kind of unsure as to when it originally started, because what had happened was this was happening at night and in sort of like what we call like the graveyard shift, which I have worked. Right, it's usually from like late at night to like the wee hours of the morning. Yes. The wee hours of the morning. Yeah, Lucas being the McDonald's fries cook manager. No. You are the SpongeBob of this group, in a good way. I um, did work at an undisclosed McDonald's. To undisclosed uh, McDonald's somewhere in Wisconsin. And I did go ahead and work that late night shift, and let me tell you, that was always an experience. Did you? Did you? you, saw did you some people. Did you or did you not see the hashlinging slasher at any point in time? Uh, I'll neither confirm nor deny those reports. <laughs> I am under a police ordinance to say cannot cannot comment. Anyway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we don't talk about that night. It's like the first cool fight club. We don't talk about fight, fight club. club except that we just did some fun. Anyway, so what happened was that uh, originally what happened what happened was the first person who kind of caught wind of this quote unquote break in because it really wasn't really a break in. It was kind of fuck up was a, a night watchman that was doing his rounds at the time, a guy called Frank Willis. Now, Frank Willis, just to give you kind of a general understanding, there is a picture of him up on the website. I have updated... Otherwise known as Dirty Willie. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he's black, so be careful with that, but okay. <laughs> he was an African-American man, but uh, Willis basically, according up to this point in time, had been a guy who was just sort of bouncing from job to job because it hadn't been paying too well. And so he looked at going to the night watchman here, and he was like, hey, what the hell? Well, he also, because according to the Jet Washington article that was written about this in 1973 that I read for research, he basically kind of talked about the fact that at some point in time, he was pretty soon going to leave because they basically had been bypassing uh, Willis for white individuals for promotion and better pay grade stuff. And, and I do want to go ahead and say that. When I made that comment, it was not... In any it was not racial because I had not disclosed it, so you're good. Correct. And it, it wasn't... I would have said that about a white guy, too. It was just... In fact, if anything, I would applaud you saying that about a white guy. There's not enough dirty white dudes out there. I think there's a lot of dirty white There's not a lot of there. dirty white boys. Dirty white boy. What are you even insinuating? It's a song of some kind, and I don't, I don't know. know what the hell you I think saying. it's Bon Jovi. I don't know. Please don't sue me. <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh, let's move on past whatever the fuck that was. I always love it when it doesn't hit quite home, but it's like, 
it's, it's there, rooming around, and you'll be like, oh, fuck, that's what he was talking about. Anyway, um, so Willis, at this point in time, had actually been planning on leaving pretty much because the Watergate and the sort of concept that it had behind it was that the Watergate was sort of like, in the Nixon era, sort of like the political elite, Republican elite sort of fortress of sorts. They literally called it that. Oh, God. Because there had been, like, when Nixon was president, there had been protests, there had been, like, certain riots in the Watergate area because it was an apartment complex. I think one, like, a running rate for a room was, like, I think it was $1,000 or it was $10,000. That's a lot. for, And it was, like, this meant only the rich of the rich, even in 1972, could own it. And so, for Willis's case, him being an African American man, there was prob there was going to be racism in the system. There, there was, remains racism in the system, but that's really not what we're talking about. So Willis was making his rounds at this point in time, and he reported that a piece of tape was left on a doorway leading from the garage in the firewell. So there was an underground garage, and the firewall was like a stairways that goes up to the sixth floor. And he notices this tape, and he just says, "That's kind of fucking weird," but. It wasn't something that caused him alarm because originally it didn't bother him. He said in the article that I, I figured that someone had been moving during the day and put the tape on so they could get back in, which I have done before. Like I sure. do that personally. It's just, it just helps. I've also had to deal with people doing that. And if you know who you are, fuck yourself. Fuck yourself in the ear because I'm not paid to do that. In the, um, in the ear, okay. Right in the ear. Right just right in there. Uh, give that, that to me. That'd that would be a hell be a, of a contortion. That'd be a hell of an ASMR episode, I'll tell you. Which we will not be doing. Okay, let's keep... <laughs> we don't have the mics to do that. We're recording it off my phone. <laughs> no, we're just gonna keep... Let's just keep moving right <laughs> on forward. Anyway, uh, at that point in time, Willis removed the tape, went about his job. He actually, after a little while, had gone out to get, just take a break, get something to eat, come back. Uh, he returned, and at this point in time, he was... No doubt surprised and suspicious to see that the tape had been replaced. It basically, according to what had happened, and there were some varied reports, but some said it was just taped over the door. Some people said they took a wad of paper, jammed it in the hole, and then taped it over. But it was just, like, really fucking obvious. Like So the tape was back. Yeah, the tape, the return of the tape. Tape two, the tape in it. But the, the tape... tape in it. The fact was, like, if you want to break into a building, hot tip, you put the tape long ways so that you don't see it on the door. They put it over the door... Like, horizontal, I don't know how the fuck they planned that people wouldn't notice that. And at that point in time, too, something to note was that the, there was a Washington Washingtonian article, which is a local sort of, like, publication in Washington, D.C. Basically, at that point in time, this had not been the first time there had been break-ins at Democratic committees just because shit like that happened. This is the 70s. Like, shit's still corrupt. But this was weird because of being the national headquarters, you know, and the fact that we now have some mysteriously returning scotch tape here that we start to see problems. The return of the scotch the tape. Return the return of the scotch tape. You know what it was? It was, the, it was the ghost of America saying, you need to get into the DNC headquarters and figure out what's going on. You need to, this is basically like the beginning of like the 9-11 truth. You're like, what's going on in there? What? It's just tape on the door, Greg. <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel like Bush did Watergate. <laughs> Is it is it Bush or the reptilians in the government? And if I have to hear the words reptilians in government again, I'm going to fucking punch somebody. <laughs> I just said it, and I'm mad. Anyway, um, it's not that. Your government is just genuinely corrupt because it is the government. It, that is going to happen. Anyway. Uh, Watergate has nine letters and 
11 not, syllables. Who's the ninth president? But if you minus it by two, don't just start doing numerology. Amir. But if you minus the nine letters by eight, you have George Washington, and George Washington's wife is named Martha. Therefore, Martha's, Martha's Vineyard. Mar- no, Martha Vineyard. Martha, Vineyard. Martha, Martha Stewart was behind Watergate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like crochet in a sweater. This is this is a picture of an airplane crashing into a building. And this one right here, we call this one Watergate. <laughs> it's just it's just a, it's just a needlepoint of a fucking massive building to pinpoint accuracy, <laughs> with the circle in red saying DNC headquarters here. <laughs> this one, honey. This one's a one of one. I'm not selling this one. <laughs> mm, this one's going up above the mantle, please. <laughs> anyway, uh, so back to <laughs> fuck man. Back to um, back to Willis. Willis basically gets the understanding that he says that you get. I just got the thinking. There is somebody else inside the building besides me, which is a fairly logical fucking conclusion yeah. based on that. Hey, well, the chair's been moved. There may be somebody here. <laughs> That, like I said, it's the ghost of capitalism. Or Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart's first... I don't think she was alive then, but you know what? Okay. No, she would have been. She probably would have been very young, but she probably would have been about two or three, four, five. I don't know. Hey, old I don't enough really to care. walk. That's what matters. <laughs> <laughs> old enough to walk, old enough to commit the greatest political hit crime in history. That's what they tell me. <laughs> She's not a fucking supervillain, okay? It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Okay. She's fucking like Stewie from Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's slightly less like Stewie because she's probably more evil. But it's like, and then later on, I'm going to become friends with Snoop Dogg and we're going to make a quiche together. <laughs> oh, they did probably more than that together. Oh, they probably that's... fucked. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> anyway, enough about Martha Stewart's sex I life. digress. I digress. <laughs> I digress. Watergate salad. How does it work? I don't know. How those taxes come in, Martha? <laughs> <laughs> She's just a, If you realize something, that in the post-production of the Martha Stewart show, she has three or four teardrops under her left eye because that's the amount of people she had to kill in prison to show who was the top bitch. Let me tell you. It wasn't her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, that was a crash. That one was like the plane crashing into the South Tower. Anyway. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We just made 9-11 statements before. You can't backpedal on me now. We're balls deep in this and we can't get out. You just made us balls deep in this, but thanks for that. Okay. I'm not making fun of the tragedy. I know. Let's move on. I know. <laughs> anyway. Back so, Willis... <laughs> God damn it. So, basically, here, Willis rushes... To the phone down in the lobby, and he calls the second precinct police department and calls for backup because here's the fun part: Willis doesn't have a gun. <laughs> Johnny's got doesn't have a gun. <laughs> Fucking what? Stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, um, so what had happened here was that Willis basically had a mace and a nightstick, but really they were not wanting to give a black man a nightstick, so they just gave him a can of mace. And the concept oh was. God. And the concept was, if these people had guns, hell no, you're not going to go in there, go toe-to-toe with a guy with a pistol, when you've just got some tear spray in a fucking, like, in a, in a cheese whiz can, okay? That doesn't work like that. What I had was tear spray in a dream, and I tell you what. <laughs> and I had the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. with me the whole time. In fact, the article that I actually used for his interview was for the Black Panther Party, and it was sort of bizarre, because it was like the whole time they were talking about him being like a hero, and he was, to a point... Because they're not wrong. Like, if he hadn't been there, 
I imagine this might have gotten away without anybody noticing. Probably. Probably. You just you sleepy there, bud? I'm I yawned. I'm not taking a nap. It's a Saturday. I had to be up for two o'clock to do this. Oh, where, where, where? <laughs> this is the thanks I get for working overtime. Overtime. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, um, and so basically he calls him and says, "Hey, there's somebody here. I I suspect there's somebody here because he wasn't sure." And he said, "You probably want to bring a couple of guys down here." And this is kind of where the crazy shit starts. So at this point in time, the police, who were, to say the least, interesting, came in and kind of told them what's going on, and he kind of explains to them, they go up there. Here's the events leading up to this stuff. Oh, God. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> it's not that bad. <laughs> okay, you, you, you definitely made that sound like some fucked up shit was about to occur. But... Well, it's fucked up in a funny way. Okay. Okay. So basically here, the call went out the precinct. The precinct relayed it to any of the squad cars within that general jurisdiction of the Watergate mm-hmm. building. So, originally, what would have happened was the precinct called and said, Squad Car 80, you're closest here. Squad Car 80 would have been the vehicle that would have originally gone to deal with this. Now, this is Correct. a plain clothes, or this is a, not a plain clothes, this is a uniformed police officer on yes. a beat patrol. The fact is, the 80, the car, I'm just going to call it Car 80, okay? Car 80 was then responded back and said that they were, quote unquote, out of action. Like, sorry, bro, I'll call somebody else. Pretty much, because you want to know what happened. The officer driving car 80 was drunk at a bar somewhere. They couldn't get him. Oh, my God. They couldn't get him. Okay, but he's a beat cop in the 70s in Washington, D.C. I would drink, too. I would drink, too. <laughs> when you have man, to book man, prostitutes and pimps in the same car, I would drink, could've, too. Could have literally just broken, like, one of the biggest political, like, Cases of all time, oh, but, but you wouldn't have had the dubious honor because here's the problem: their vehicle would have come up, lights going, sirens going, two or a, at least one or two police officers, recognizable police officers, would have come piling out of that car to go into the building. We find out later that the burglars had a guy across the road at a motor hotel. Anyway, so basically what happened was there was – and they had a guy, basically, the burglars, which we didn't know. They had a dude staking out the water game. They had a guy staking out. for people that were – But it was great because he was staking them out from Howard Johnson's across the road <laughs> at a motor hotel who was there. And the best part that we found out – this happens later. Like this was not found out immediately, but I just had to say We're it. telling the story as, as if we know what's happening. We, we, right, we yeah. do. We both do and we're looking forward. With a guy called Alfred C. Baldwin III. <laughs> Balls the third. I like it. I just love the name. Alfred C. Baldwin III. Something like should be some guy like – some professor at like Harvard or something like that in economics. But no. Basically. It, his life is staking out a fucking – the Watergate at a fucking motor hotel. At a fucking... Oh, oh. The best part about it was he was roomed at the Howard Johnson's. And the whole time, he had his eyes fucking glued to the television while this is happening. He did. While they're literally in the office ransacking it for information. He's watching a fucking horror movie on the TV. Not paying attention to the building at all. So, so basically... The reason that they got caught is because their lookout man just basically took a shit and stopped caring. Pretty much. 
Yeah, pretty much. That was what happened. Damn and it, Alfred. <laughs> and so the fact was that by the time that the cops were in the building, who will describe what they look like and who they are in a second. God, okay. But by the time that they were in the building, they were up to the sixth floor. He saw them and said, hey, do you guys, what are you guys wearing? Which seems like it should not be a question you have to fucking what are you ask. Jake from State, State Farm. Farm. Uh, khakis. She, she sounds, sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so. All right. Perfect. Anyway, we got that out of the With that, hey, this has been brought to you by State Farm. No, no it hasn't. Anyway, <laughs> bring back the shakes. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing my khaki shorts all the time. Anyway. All day, every day. That's right. This, <laughs> these are my these are my dicking pants. What? <laughs> Jake, you've changed. <laughs> First of all, no one here is going to do that, so I don't know when you're planning on making that happen, but... What? I don't know what you were getting at with that part either. I was just making the quick... Who's kicking you, Jake? <laughs> oh, one. That's what I want to know. I'm speaking of... You know what? Never mind. <laughs> Let's keep going. So basically what happened was that by the time that the cops were up the sixth floor with their flashlights and their guns drawn, he goes and says, what are you guys wearing? And he's like, we're wearing suits. Why? And he goes, well, there's a bunch of hippies up on the sixth floor with guns drawn. And he realized they were in shit. He didn't pay attention until it was too late. This gets better. Ugh. Because these guys who were reported as hippies were literally undercover cops who had been tasked during that time period with an entirely different job and just said, fuck it, and we'll go over there. Oh, my God. So basically what happened was um, these, again, so we know Car 80 couldn't make it, and that would have basically tipped off the guy in the next room with the lights and the sirens and everything, right? Yeah. But what happened was that when Car 80 was said they were out of action and they couldn't be reached, the call went to a guy, a group of three dudes, who was affectionately referred to as the fucking Bum Squad. The Bum Squad. The Bum Squad, which, again, I said sounds like a really poorly directed gay porn because of that name. But, it, hey, it's the 70s. These guys. Viva la vida. These guys. C-Bum, Love Bum, and R-Bum. That's how much, that, that's their dedication. That's the Bum Squad. I can't do it. <laughs> anyway, um, I was trying to do the Shaft theme, but I, I can't do the song. That's okay. It's all right. I'm I'm too white to do that. So these these three guys are were Carl M. Schaffler, Paul W. Leeper, and John B. Barrett, and these were just again these were three cops who were undercover on just regular small scale stings that night. See, Jake, we need to do those names again. You need to read them dramatically, and with you want to gravitas. You do it. You do. You, if you, you, only you know. Carl M. Schaffler, <laughs> Paul W. Leeper, and John B. Barrett. Coming to a theater near you. Otherwise known as the Bum Squad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was good. That was good. All right, now we can continue. So, <laughs> so basically, the whole process had been up until that point. These guys were dressed as hippies, and I. Just regular dudes. I mean, that's really the only way I can say it. I have pictures up on the website of what well, one this, or two of them looked like. Well, basically, they were just... At the time, that fashion style was very Long hair, kind of hippie But it was very inconspicuous. You could walk around and not well, yeah, be noticed. A lot, of people, a lot of people... It, now nobody wears that, but back then that was very obvious. Or wasn't like, very obvious. It'd be like walking around now and wearing cargo shorts and a white t-shirt. Fuck you, too. <laughs> 
in 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 October when it was only forty eight today. Correct. Yeah. So uh, at the up until that point in time, most of what they'd been doing was basically that at one point in time they had been called to a campus in Washington D.C. because calculator had been stolen. <laughs> it was basically like a fucking counting machine. It was massive. The bomb squad it was a fucking massive. Okay, we knew it was you, old man Jenkins. It was like a giant typewriter that yeah. was counting numbers. Yeah. That's basically what yeah. it was. And then there were a couple a, of like basically electronic abacus. Basically, <laughs> and there was like a couple of minor drug busts because that's kind of what their main job was that night was to basically initiate a drug deal or something like that and catch the dude arrest him and send him back and ah, go back on the street we caught another hippie getting reefer yeah we caught, we, we've caught now the uh, <laughs> a disproportionate amount of African Americans and we're going to prosecute oh, them as such because it's the 70s yeah. it was bad Um, so fuck the 70s yeah, well yes and no I mean it was fun but I mean, it was also that, bad I mean in that aspect like fuck the 70s in the oh, racist right. like yeah the bullshit. racism part fuck that the Richard Nixon part you mean yeah. The long yeah. order. <laughs> anyway, so basically what happened was that these guys were outside the jurisdiction of that call, but said, well, shit, we're the only ones nearby. Let's just do it anyway. And so they drove over in a regular car, plain clothes dudes, no lights, no sirens. Right. So, so going in under the radar. So horror movie Alfred over there. Pretty much. <laughs> he had no idea. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's a great way to look at that. <laughs> fucking, fucking look out McJohnson over here. But uh, that was a bad joke. Uh, so they got there at that point in time. And it was just the most bizarre moment. Because, I mean, you're dealing with a cop, a group of cops who had gone in dressed like a fucking uh. group of assholes. <laughs> Who originally, like, earlier that night had been getting called narc by a bunch of hookers in the street. Like, that was a thing that happened. These motherfuckers are stumbling onto the biggest political... Fucking seriously, that's what this is happening. This is literally happening. The bomb squad. Literally, they did. They were freaked. They got in, Willis meets them and walks them up to the sixth floor and says, this is as far as the tape goes. And so they were searching the offices, and the sixth floor is massive. This is a big fucking building. Oh, yeah. No, it's massive. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's massive like something else. I was, I got thrown off by your lack of energy. Like, yeah, it's great. Whatever. Right. I was trying to let the call, like, it's massive. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just like the scandal. <laughs> anyway. Hey, hey, hey. hey Monica, come over here and see what else is going on. Oh, God. Anyway, we could do that. We could do that one someday. Conceivably, yes. Conceivably, not that I really... Well, you know what? I do, but I don't. Anyway, um... Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Um, basically, what happened to that was that Willis walked them up, but then got a call from the down in the lobby and had to go back. So he didn't get a chance to participate in this, which I feel bad for him. Yeah. Because he definitely should have for everything that he had to do that night. For seeing all this and calling the, the cops. The fact is, place. if he had not been there, even it may not be the individual specifically, but I like to say, if it wasn't this combination of shit. Well, and he also gave a shit about enough about his job to actually follow up. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if it had any, I don't know what it would have happened if it had been anybody else. They would have not been there. They wouldn't have cared. Yeah, if it wasn't for the fucking bump squad showing up in a regular car, <laughs> fucking Magoo over across the road would not have tipped them off and told them to get out of there. Horror movie Alfie over there. <laughs> yeah. So at this point in time, they're up there on the floor, 
And according to like a little bit of the Washingtonian article, he said that one of the guys, I think it was Leaper, but it might have also been Barrett, said he was literally scared shitless, like the whole time. Well, yeah, fair. Because, because they're going office by office in the dark with their guns drawn. They don't know who these guys are, what they want, if they're armed or not. There's a lot of missing variables here. And so they're going office to office. They literally are stumbling over each other in the dark. Like, that's a thing that's happening. You said they stumbled on it. They literally did that. Like, here we go. <laughs> basically. So they were going and going and going, and they finally got to the DNC office, and they're like, this is the last one on the floor. Like, the, you could, this is literally meant for a movie, which it became a movie, which I own and have watched, and will watch again for this purpose of research. Be, but uh, they Remember got. All the presents, man. Yes. Good movie. It's a good movie. And I'm also reading the book as part of my research. You're, so, you're dedicated. Yeah, I am right? fucking dedicated. You know, it's about time somebody actually started appreciating you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I expect no. <laughs> start de- detailing all the shit I want. This is what I want in my next. So I expect <laughs> fun Sundays and blowjobs. <laughs> if you want season five, this is the. <laughs> You'll join our OnlyFans account. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway. Um, anyway. So um. Anyway. Uh. They got there. And so one of the cops basically breaks in and he notices a guy hiding behind the desk. Because at this point in time that they had said already we had fucking we, – we have Magoo saying, hey, there's somebody up there besides you guys. Is so that they, you, Charlie? They tried to, <laughs> they tried to hide. Charlie, I see you behind the desk. <laughs> it was so There are stupid. no trees here, motherfucker. It was so fucking stupid. Oh, my God. If he's like – now be quiet. <laughs> Motherfucker! Just like, you just start shooting. But, uh, so what happened was, um, uh, yeah. So what happened was he said, hey, hands up, we got you. And basically, he's expecting, like, two dudes, like, five guys pop up from behind the desk with their hands raised. And, like, uh, so he's like, he's like, um, and the best thing the guy goes, one of the guys goes, says, you got us. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> There's it. no, like, fuck you, cop. It's just like, oh, you got us. <laughs> you got me. You got me. <laughs> And so oh, this is Tom Brokaw. You have Tom Brokaw. Hi, I'm hello. I'm Tom Brokaw. You got TV's Tom Brokaw. You got the, you got TV's Tom Brokaw. Would you like to take a seat? Would you like to take a seat? I want you to take a seat. And you've also got Chris Hansen. <laughs> Chris Hansen's a time traveler. I would love to see Chris Hansen going back in time and being like John Wayne Gacy. Would you like to take a seat? What are you doing with that boy? Oh, it's much worse than what I thought. Oh God. All right. Anyway. So um. What's in the basement, John? <laughs> so basically, what's in your crawl space? What's going on there? What's going on? What is, what is what your... With the serial killer? I don't know. I've been listening to last podcast. Oh, no, shout out to them. They have a great I've podcast. Been, yeah, I know. This is the sad part because I'm sure people would be like, well, you guys are kind of like that, but not like that because like they do that, a lot better. Asshole, I do this as a hobby. You guys are like that, just much, much worse. You guys are like like retarded compared to them. And, I, that's, and that's what people would say. And shame on you for using the R word, first of all. Because that hurts my feelings. But number you know, two, I'll tell you what, we, don't, we don't need we don't need listeners to use the R word. Even no. though Jake dropped it on one of the I dropped podcasts. it from the position. <laughs> I dropped it from the position of being the listener. Because I know the listener doesn't care about being PC. But I mean, most of I would hope you do. Okay, can we get out of this? Basically, we're just saying that we're not we are, but we're not last podcast only because this is a hobby and not our real job. No, we are not them. Almost by definition, but we definition. are not them. So stop it. All right, mom. Okay. Are you happy now? <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
Jesus. Okay. That was a moment. So they find these guys. I'm guessing this is where they get arrested. This is where they get arrested. There's not a lot of fucking, like... There's not a lot of getting away when you're five dudes in an enclosed office space with a guy with a gun. So when you said you were going to go through them getting arrested, this is basically it. This is it. This is it, but it's so good because it was described according to the same officer. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I almost fucking choked us. <laughs> um... That's Nixon just grabbing your tongue. He's like, yeah, you, you're a lot freaker than you are. Yeah, I will fucking delete your tapes. Anyway. I'll um, delete your tapes, buddy. <laughs> anyway. So he was surprised at the fact, number one, that each of the perpetrators, if you assume they were probably robbers, you assume these were like... Some shitty robbers. Yeah. They, if I imagine a robber in the 70s, I imagine a man either dressed head to toe in white and black stripe. With a fucking, like, with a cap and a mask and a bag of money. Or a guy in fucking platform shoes looking platform came shoes. out of Studio 59. Platform shoes. Okay. <laughs> or Charles Barkley being a dick shit. <laughs> dipshit. I'm a fucking podcast. Uh, oh, come on, man. That's just terrible. That's just horrible. It's mean. Don't do it. Shout that. out to you, Charles. Love you. Anyway. Charles, he's not dead. Why did you do this? I didn't. I went like that. <laughs> You pounded your chest twice and pointed to the roof. Uh, you know, I, was just, like, I was pointing out like, like my uh, statement's gonna like go up and then and then go horizontal. Right, anyway, moving around. After, after this he's fucking. Gonna go find him randomly, you know, it's gonna hit him. He's gonna be like, someone appreciates me. After this fucking snagger dash or whatever this is that you crawled. Oh what? I don't know. Okay, so these people are getting arrested. <laughs> <laughs> We're still there. We have not moved from that. It's like we paused the movie and we started talking. We're like two fucking people talking over a paused movie, arguing about what's going on while not hitting play again. Quite, not That's quite. Where we are right now. Basically, the fact is that the this per- is great podcasting. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> the perpetrators basically were described as wearing business suits, but had like blue surgical latex gloves on. Yeah. Which makes sense, because these guys, number one, that's kind of weird, because if you're just a fucking guy trying to rob the DNC, fingerprints, you usually don't think about. Not usually. Not not normally, but, you know, it was a little weird. Yes. So, they got basically picked up, they were sent to Precinct 2 at that point in time. So on on the five guys that are arrested, at this point in time we still don't know their names yet. Awesome. Just a just a brief five guys? Delicious burgers. I thought five guys oh. I thought five they did I thought they did sub sandwiches. No, five oh, that's guys fucking Jersey Mike's. That is Jersey Mike's. <laughs> Five Guys is a... And there's people screaming at the podcast. I'm probably... Five Guys is... Five a, Guys! <laughs> delicious burger and fries. Freaking out on the other... I just fucking hamburgers! If you like burgers, Five Guys is good. Please give me free stuff, Five Guys. Five Guys, Elson, just like... They just... They have a cheeseburger can in the Harlem of your apartment. Just fucking... Through, through your window. window. It's like, you know what? That was worth it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was worth it to have physical damage done to me by a piece of food. Anyway. Uh, uh, yeah. Five Guys. So, I'm the five men arrested... There was a series of uh, quote-unquote electronic surveillance equipment and rolls of new $100 bills. There was cameras, undeveloped film. There were bugging devices. everything. They had a <laughs> lot of shit, man. The, my favorite was that, according to them, they had at least three pen-shaped objects filled with tear gas. Jesus. This was a James Bond filled with idiots <laughs> sort of scenario. Like they just gave like, all this like super high tech spy shit to five people off the street. And they're like, here you go. All right, you guys, do it. 
It's like the suicide. Now, whatever like, you do, whatever you do. This guy should have been the bum squad. This is like, this is like, this is like a, this is a, this is a reference nobody will ever get. That's not, that's not from here. It's like if you pull, what's that crazy guy that, that downtown that like? Roger. It's like five Rogers trying to pull off a robbery. <laughs> no, except here all of them Roger, talking about some, dead cats. Here's some equipment. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> Figure. I mean, the fact is, like, the fact that they were doing this so hand, they were just tossing the desks and shit. They didn't even try to hide it. You got us. They were like, okay, and the fact was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let this out, this cat out of the bag, was the fact that these guys had come back for a second go because the bugging equipment fucked up. Their cameras and their uh, shit, their microphones failed. It didn't work, and they had to go back. <laughs> shout out to the tech guy. Yeah, the tech guy, the fucking 1972 IT dude who also is also kind of edgy Probably and wants to talk about stash. shit. He wants to talk about a lot of edgy shit. Talking about like, you know what I don't like? The government. <laughs> the government, man. They're trying to take all your shit, bro. It's true. Like, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> who are you again? I'm the tech guy. What's tech? Mm, anyway. <laughs> just just his eyes darting left and right. Fuck, they got me. <laughs> Back to my time machine. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> no, no, god damn it. No, 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 no. You're not under arrest. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the fact was that there was this just, there was a bunch of shit. I, I would have loved to know how the tear gas pens had worked. How the fuck that would have worked if it was like the the penguin's umbrella from Batman Begins would or whatever? Guys just ever have actually used them? I don't, I don't think they would have worked. If they would have tried. They probably would have just shot themselves. <laughs> probably hit it fucking backwards. And be like, oh shit, we got us. We got. It's us. like the Keystone Cops of like political break-ins. Yeah. Oh, we got us. We got. We got. Us. You got me. You got me. God damn it! Put your hands down. <laughs> So, I mean, among the things that they were looking at, one of the things that actually was kind of weird, this fell out of one of the guy's pockets, was a spiral notebook, and it had the words White House written on it. Could they be any fucking... Actually, no, it was W House, but... Why the fuck would you have that on you? Ah, it gets worse. They had the phone numbers to the re-election committee in the notebook. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, it's not good. You can't... Be bothered to memorize that phone number? Yeah, come on. Fucking numbers. Mm. Yeah, so these guys go to jail. They're kind of sitting in, like, basically what is... If you consider jail, it's not prison. This is five dudes in one cell with, I'm fairly certain, a couple other homeless guys that were in the drunk take that night. This is the beginning of that poro you were talking about. Five dudes, one cell. (laughs) One toilet for all five of them. Five dudes, one cell. <laughs> Four bunks. Two homeless men. One of them wanting to talk about his experiences in Vietnam. You, Nobody wants to listen. I'll tell you what the answer to that equation. That's one great film. Yeah. <laughs> well, get out of the way, deep throat. Here we come. Oh, there was plenty. Of, there, there was plenty of that going on. <laughs> anyway. So yeah. Uh, basically, what happened was the identities as they found them. The the next day when these guys were being interviewed by the cops, or, or during the night a little bit, and then into the morning, like the early morning hours, because at that point in time, it was still dark, I, whatever. The fact was that they got, basically got the names of these five guys. The first one was a man called, or was a guy called James W. McCord Jr. 
who he was an expert in electronics and communications. Apparently not. Well, no, <laughs> see, he wasn't the guy who was given the shit to establish it. I mean, their shit just failed. Okay. But he was a former C or he was a former CIA officer in electronics. We only found this out later. Okay. But we this is this is all gonna become pertinent. I right. know that we're kind of jumping the gun on that CIA part. That's okay. But again, we're if we were to do this Jake, this Jake, hey I, I trust you. Hey, I trust you, but the listeners need to know. Okay. They need to know the truth, man. Okay. <laughs> All right. The, the, for the listener who's like, well, what the fuck? You're breaking my immersion if you're really that stupid. Um, the f- Whoa. Whoa. Hold on there. Hey. Sport. Hold on now. No, the fact is that we're bringing it up just so we know who these people are. In in If we had done this like this, we'd literally be doing it in stages. People would get confused. Correct. Like, if we were doing this like... Because this took, like, what? Three... three this took three years... No, it took two if years. If you want to see a spoiled free version of this, just go watch all the presidents, man. Pretty much. It takes a long fucking time. And it doesn't even, like, end in, in Nixon, spoiler alert, resigning, as we all know this is how this ends. But it literally was, like, done, like, as it was starting to get kind of weird. So, we have the next guy, and these, this is an interesting name. For Helio, I think, because it's V-I-R-G-I-L-I-O. I don't know how to pronounce it. Virgilio? 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 That almost sounds a probably, little bit... I'm sorry, Virgilio sounds a tad bit too much like vagina, so it's I'm probably, not going to go there. It's probably Virgilio? R. Gonzalez, who is a Cuban-born political activist and locksmith. Ooh, who Cuban. also had CIA contacts and was an anti-Castro. There was Eugenio... <laughs> Eugenio? Eugenio. R. Martinez who is a member of the anti-Castro movement as well and a paid CIA agent. I think you think that actually might be Eugenio. It depends. Eugenio? It might be. It's hard to tell because I I, I know it's Spanish, so my knowledge of Spanish is fairly good with names, but... The only reason I know is because of sports. Yeah, maybe it's Eugenio. Which I I know sounds stupid, but it actually does help. No, that makes sense. That, That does help. And then there was Bernard L. Barker, who was a former undercover operative for CIA anti-Castro plots in Castro, who had also been kind of doing work against anti-communists in other Latin American countries, but had been mostly in in Cuba. And then there was Frank Sturgis, who was a former military operative and undercover undercover operative for the CIA. So basically, all the five dudes had CIA information. Yeah, and they all had, like, deep intelligence connections. Well, yeah, and not only that, like, one... I think... So, riddle me this before you get there. Yeah, go ahead. How in the fuck, with all of these connections, do you not take the fucking notebook out of your pocket before you leave for the break-in? I, I have no idea. I really don't. And I will... A little bit of what... And when we do it in the next episode, when we start going to, like, the cover-up a little bit, is that All the President's Men does talk about kind of the process of figuring out these guys in real time. I so just, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll alleviate how they figured this out. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but like I said, right now we're just dealing with breaking and the immediate aftermath. And yeah. then we get into like their trial in the next episode and yeah. everything else. Yeah, we are, we are, correct me if I'm wrong, getting to the latter end of this episode because we've broken in, we got the arrest. Pretty much. So we got the arrest, we got the guys and their identities and, and their names. And actually what happened in, in Washington, all the president's men talks about this, is that they didn't say they were with the CIA until they were literally in the trial. The judge asked them who their political or what their their affiliation was. Or what their own... Uh, it wasn't their affiliation. Who their um employer was. They who literally do you said, work for? Who do you work for? 
Who does number two work yes, for? Yes, exactly. The moment for that's exactly what's going. The moment from Austin yes. Powers, yeah. reason the stall. Yes. Who does number two work for? Oh, yeah. There's that Texan in the stall going. Yeah, you tell that turd who's boss. You give him hell, buddy. Hell yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so basically that was sort of like a holy shit moment because this. When they find out these guys are CIA, this is no longer just a bunch yeah, of dudes who broke it's not into just the DNC. And then it becomes that, a conspiracy because because now you've got a government. At least these people were part you of a government, government entity. Body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when they were arraigned in the following days, and they were asked to the judge of who their employer was, yeah, the CIA was the person that they said. Sweet. They literally <laughs> said that. And the fact was, at that trial, again, we'll talk about this a little bit more at length when we get into the next one. Woodward was at the trial and heard it, and he was like, holy shit, literally out loud in the courtroom, and then left to go tell the <laughs> editor, the, the manager editor of the fucking Washington Post about this. He goes, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, damn the chair. <laughs> White way possible. Oh. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, that there's an OC, eh? <laughs> so. Christ. So, yeah. So, we had CIA and initially what this was stuff that was already in, in the newspaper and circulating mm-hmm. at the time the morning after that the white house knew what had happened but basically what had happened was the response from nixon when he heard about it was simple he said who gives a shit initially he is recorded in saying to i think it was colson i think it was his aide or one of his people where it was like I'll have to look at my personnel list. But Colson was basically a guy who worked within Nixon's inner circle. And their general conversation basically surrounded was, who's going to keep it alive? No one gives a shit. It's just, it's I'm just, not going to worry about it. Just keep in mind that we do have recordings of all the conversations Nixon had uh, in the White House. He was definitely paranoid of everybody. Because he kept track of everything because he wanted to, which... He had an enemies list a mile long for some fucking reason. His complete downfall was the fact that he did it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it... Yeah. Yeah. So, basically, the fact was that, in an overall tone, because this was an election year in 72, which we kind of brought up in the last episode, Nixon had other shit to worry about. He was leading in the polls at the time when the polls fucking mattered. Because now we live in a world where the numbers don't count for anything. Well... They do, but they can be slightly deceiving. But in Nixon's case, I mean, you had Nixon going against, was it McGovern... Yeah, it was yeah, George McGovern. McGovern. And we McGovern was just... Long. McGovern was fucking drowning at this point in time. Like, he was bad, and Nixon was focused on getting back and being president again. And in Nixon's mindset, as we kind of talked about in the last episode, he was going to win by all... any like He was going to go full balls to the wall on winning this next term. Yeah. He was not going to let this slip. But his basic concern was nobody's going to give a shit about this because we have an election... We had a number of other things going on. There's a war going on. Well, there's an end of a war going on. Yeah. Right? That whole process is happening. Hashtag Vietnam. Hashtag Vietnam. And we're going to put that on our Pinterest page. Hashtag Charlie. (laughs) Okay. It's Viet Cong's in in just fun, you know, fun vests. Just fun little tidbits. It's like like a Where's Waldo of Vietnam. Crafts. But How angry do you think a Vietnam bet would get when you say you just played the real live version of Where's Waldo with a machine gun? Uh huh. I mean, that is what they did sometimes. Spray and pray, brother. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. I sounded a Trees bit. Trees are too talking. Sounded like a douchebag. Anyway. Um. So basically, what care. happened was this. Um, after after Nixon heard it, and he kind of said, "Who gives a shit?" You know, I mean, he had reason to believe that no one would care. Nobody did for the first 
part of the year until after the, the election was done and he'd become president yes. again. It, because now the public had nothing more to think about except that thing at Watergate still happening. What's all that about? But that wouldn't happen. We wouldn't know about that. There was a subsequent fear, though. Where Nixon said he didn't care, there was a bit of a moment, for sure, because this is reported both by interviews with him after the fact, and plus by some general approximation to what would have probably happened, is that this is kind of what gets him into why he was nervous. Because the break-in itself was not really the crime he committed. Though he may have ordered it, I'm not quite sure. That's still out. And there's still a lot of information that people don't know. The crime was not only the cover-up, but the fact that what led to him covering up and then the Saturday Night Massacre was the fear of other things he had done to get to be president that he probably should have gone to jail for. So one in the big one here is the last thing that we talk about. And this is really what his paranoia gets set into that mindset. And what only gets worse as time goes on is this thing starts to pick up speed. Um, the fear, of course, was that this FBI investigation, because the FBI was already on it too. There was already, this was already happening, at least within the week of it happening, for sure. But when he started hearing that the FBI was getting involved, because number one, it's a political break-in, there appears to be a CIA involvement. Yeah, it's going to be a problem. Um, and it was a problem for Nixon because what was happening was he was afraid of them digging in too deep. One of the things that he did, especially when it was transgressions in the late 60s and 70s, was something called the uh, what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? I'm sorry, I'm 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 blanking on the name here. Starts with a C. The Ch- it was the Chenault affair, and it wasn't referred to that. Nobody knew anything about this. And for us to kind of talk about it, we literally have to go back about four years to 1968. And there's a reason why this counts. So Nixon's political involvement with Johnson, because this was 68 leading to 69 in the presidential campaign, Nixon was actively campaigning to be the Republican president, which he became. At the same time, Johnson, I think at this point in time, has said he's not going to be president. But in the 68, just as we know by basic context, that was probably maybe one of the worst years for America. Because number one, LBG... 68, 69. 68, 69 was bad. Because you had... Uh, Kennedy, Robert Kennedy getting killed, MLK getting killed. Mm-hmm. You had just basically a complete disintegration to a point of the civil rights movement as we knew it at that point, from like nonviolent to just militant. Yeah. You had serious anti-war protests, big protests, and you had a lot of clashes with police. You had a war that no one wanted. It wasn't going anywhere. It was just going backwards. Like people were dying for what? You had a government who was lying to you openly. The president would say you were killing this many people, but at the same time, you're watching it on TV. It's massive unrest. Basically. But you, what, people who couldn't trust the government, people who couldn't, who didn't want to do this. So what is Nixon doing during this? Well, Nixon is running as his candidacy, and so what is happening here was that as Nixon was sort of campaigning, LBJ was attempting to negotiate the end of the Vietnam War, Again, like I said, in 68, that situation is bad. You've got Ted Offensive in 68 and the My Life Massacre in 68, and that really made America look really fucking bad. Because, for obvious reasons, shooting how many civilians is a war crime, and then that guy got away with it. And Ted Offensive was basically just a massive fuck-up, uh, both for the for the North Vietnamese and also for the Americans, because it was just a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um 
And so basically what had happened was Johnson was planning to sort of take some of the pressure off of him. And one of the things he was trying to do was he was trying to talk to North Vietnam and say, hey, I'll stop rolling thunder, the bombing campaign up in the north for a little while if you guys are willing to come to the negotiating table in Paris. And he did that around October 31st of 1968. At this point in time, it's kind of running into the election season. Right, you are literally a day to two days. No, eleventh, right? We don't. We vote on the first or second. It is November the first Tuesday, in November. So whatever day that would have yeah. been. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I forgot that. But um, he wanted it at least with the time that he had remaining to do something, right? To try to get them out of Vietnam. And so, because '68 was marked by presidential election, you had Johnson and Nixon. First, and then Nixon and Humphrey a little bit later, and then Humphrey would just fail. Um, basically, Nixon was looking that this moment, 1968, is like his last shot at the presidency. And so for him, he's like, if I don't get this, I'm not going back. Because he'd already vowed off politics when we talked about him in that last, like one mm-hmm. episode totally dedicated to him. Yeah. He was like, the, he was like, you won't have a dick to kick around anymore. And it was like, but then you came back. So what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. So the whole motivation here was this. Nixon's general platform was an anti-war Republican. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say Republican in the modern sense. So when we talk about Republican and Democrat, we mean like now Republican, conservative, Democrat being a little bit more liberal leaning. Nixon's whole platform was anti-war. Pretty much saying the war was stupid. We need to get out of the war. We need to bring him home. This is Johnson's fault for making it worse. Right? This is kind of like I point the finger mm-hmm. at you and say, you fucked mm-hmm. this up, and you fucked it up bad, and I'm going to be the one guy to make it all better. And so Nixon feared that because the Paris peace talks were starting to make positive moves, because Johnson was starting to get the North Vietnamese to talk to him, and they were, him and the South Vietnamese were literally at the negotiating table while the campaign was happening a little bit after the election, is that they... Subsequently, he was afraid that if they were able to find this negotiated settlement, it was going to derail his whole campaign because that's all he had going for him. He was an old man, and people remembered him failing in the campaign against Kennedy in 1960, and they still remembered that shit. And they remembered a lot of him being the anti-communist you know, sort of dog whistle for the McCarthy year in the 50s, yeah. and a lot of people didn't like him for that either, especially now in the 60s. When people were starting to more openly embrace the ideas of communism, even in yeah. America, you know, you had moments or factions of people, you know, the, the hippie and the counterculture movement. Well, the Red Scare was waning. It, it was, yeah, for sure it was waning. And Nixon was kind of like a, a, kind of a pertinent example of that. He was like the old man who was just like, I remember the days when the Pepperidge Farm remembered the days of when I remember the days. It's like, so, okay. What does Nixon do at this point to try to fuck with Johnson? Because that's where this is heading, right? Yeah, yeah. This is where this is heading. And so, I, I just consecutively, obviously, like, no war, no presidential chances. If that war has ended, what the fuck are you going to do? That's Nixon's inner thought. What am I going to do? I got nothing. That's it. Like, no, like my major cornerstone is going to be gone. My campaign will basically just be shaky. And so... We started to see concessions coming from Hanoi in late, in that late October in 68, immediately after, actually kind of immediately after Johnson halted the bombing. And so what happened was Nixon started to get really like, oh, fuck, no, this is actually happening. And so what he did was he dispatched someone to South Vietnam because somehow Nixon had, as a presidential person, access 
to the embassy and the ear of the South Vietnamese government. I don't know how. I, I, they did not explain it in the presidential library to Johnson. They really don't. But this is the whole website I put it up there. Like it, they have tapes and documents and everything. It's it's something I've never heard of before, up until this point. Like, and so what happened was, Nixon said, "Ah, shit, we got to do something." Nixon dispatches a woman, Anna Chenault, whose husband had actually been like Flying Tiger in World War II. He's a war hero. Okay. Flying Tiger, Flying Tiger, basically was American pilots who volunteered for China against the Japanese, and there were local heroes there. Yeah. And so she was a Chinese-born Republican fundraiser who had been nationalized to the United States. Mm-hmm. She was very popular. And so she went to South Vietnamese getting a lot of clout because of her husband and a bunch of other shit. And her husband had kind of been kind of back and forth involved a little bit too. She sent to the Vietnamese government embassy with a clear message to the South Vietnamese. She basically said it like this. The South Vietnamese should withdraw from the talks, refuse to deal with Johnson... And if Nixon's elected, you guys are going to get a much better deal. That was their general concept. Yeah, okay, so basically just telling them to stall the peace talks. To, yeah. Pretty much. Basically saying, you walk out, and when we get elected, you're going to get a much better deal out of this. Because VSL Vietnam knew that America wanted to back out and leave them kind of to deal with it themselves, and they were in no position to do that. So at this point in time, what we figured out was that they made this deal, and the counter-negotiation business was under FBI surveillance by Johnson's order already. Johnson did this a lot, too. He he surveyed and recorded his own conversation. Okay, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting a little lost here. Can okay, we, so where are you we, getting lost? Uh, let's just, I mean, I just feel like we have a lot of background, and we were telling a really, and now we're kind of zigging. So let, let's stay, let's stay. No, 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 yeah, 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 so, yeah. Like, so, no, that's what I'm saying. So they basically made that deal an offer. Behind yep. Johnson's back to fuck with Johnson's attempt to get the South Vietnamese to negotiate with the North. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. And so what they were doing was basically counteracting the main administration, which was Johnson. Well, Johnson obviously didn't trust Nixon, and so that's why he had the FBI already looking at them. Yeah. And literally, Johnson literally called it treason. He was pissed. He was super pissed. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. The fact was, though, was that Johnson knew what they were doing was sort of like a quid pro quo situation on Nixon's part. Nixon was doing the quid pro quo, and Johnson knew about it. The problem was they basically derailed that whole talk. Right. Because in the end, the South Vietnamese said, fine, fuck it, and they were gone. And the whole thing went back, and they went back to fighting again. Like, that was what they did, and it made Johnson look bad, and the war continued for Nixon's... Political the thing was, yeah, and then some people would ask the question, well, like, wait, if Johnson knew, why didn't fuck they didn't talk about it? And I kind of asked right. that question myself, right? Well, the fact was that they find out later is that there was a result, the inactivity that resulted from Johnson not explaining this to the public just came in part from the fact that at that moment, there seemed to be some forward movement for Humphrey. And the Democrats seemed like they might be within at least shooting distance of winning that the presidential election and he definitely thought that if nixon lost then this whole attempt was going to be worth nothing so what did it matter 
You know, if a Democrat went in, at least Johnson could kind of steer the negotiations still a little bit. Basically, he just gave up and said, oh, he'll probably win anyway, but that was... Stupid. Well, he thought Humphrey would win. He said, well, Nixon will probably lose again, so who gives a shit? That was stupid not to bring up. That he, was... He made a major... That mistake was a very old, big oversight, yeah. And the fact was, as you stated, yeah, as history would show, Nixon did win, and then he backtracked on being that anti-war candidate. He did mm-hmm. not end the war. He fucking escalated it into Cambodia... With an additional 22,000 casualties before finally settling it in 1973. The same thing you could have done in 1968-69. Yeah. But he needed it for political expediency. So basically, Nixon at this point is saying that he... Just to kind of wrap up where we are for this episode. So Nixon basically said, hey, like, I'm not... Like, I don't give a shit about this. But in the back of his mind, he was like... They better not find out about the fuckery that I've been doing in Vietnam. Not only that, it, yeah, not only that, the fact that it was online, and, and by the time that Johnson died in 1973, I think, that document then went into the library as public knowledge. Right. But Nixon, like we know, a lot of shit happens, gets kind of folded over. Nixon, too, was freaking a, a little bit out at the moment, like, oh shit, when they dig something, one thing will lead to the next, and one thing will lead to the next. It's like, I don't like saying... Like, when, if, if any any guy who will ever know this is anyone, if your mom or anybody says, can I use your computer, you are literally fearing she's going to go from one tab to the next, and then your porn is just going to be found by your mom. Well, the point is, if you're hiding things, like, really all they will be found. is a way to, is a reason to look, so, like. Yeah. And the fact was, too, I mean, like, when I looked at it, was, one of the reasons, too, was that. The only reason that Johnson knew about the exchange at all was not only that there was FBI surveillance on Nixon's campaign, was that he was fucking bugging the South Vietnamese embassy, too. <sighs> yeah, so, so he, of... if he had literally said it, he would have had to admit to the fact that he was bugging a political opponent, and he was bugging a, 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 a foreign policy ally. How pissed off would that have made them? So lots of... Uh... A lot of fuckery. Lots of fuckery. Lots here. of fuckery. Uh, so are we uh, are we at the stop point for our research here? Pretty much. The last thing I gotta say is this. I mean, by the time that the bug the buglers fuck me, <laughs> by the time that the burglars' materials were being inspected by the FBI, they were following the money trail, and they were following it to find out where it would go. And then basically we pick up with Woodward, Bernstein, the FBI, the White House cover up. Uh, we're kind of I we might break it into smaller parts just to make it easy. So there might we might do the cover up and then we'll definitely do sort of like when it all falls apart and then a couple other areas and then we should be able to wrap it up at least by uh, hopefully episode four but maybe episode five. Well, join us next week when we try to cover what Hollywood did in a movie and abundantly fail. <laughs> Watergate Part Three coming up next week. It wasn't that bad. No, uh, I think. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Yep. Peace. Oh, did you want to... Yeah, whatever.